Okay, hi everybody, and welcome to another episode of Better. I am Dr. John Duffy, and Julie Duffy, who is normally with me hosting here, is not here. Uh, but I do have an incredibly special guest with me. It is Sue Borison. Sue is the editor of Your Team Media. Tell us a little bit about, like, what media are we involved in here? Where will we find Your Teen content? Oh, so we hope to be everywhere you're looking. Um, we have a podcast called Your Team with Sue and Steph, and that's all the places that you'll go for podcasts. Um, and that we do that every other week. It comes out on a Tuesday morning, and they're super fun and informative. And then we have a website, yourteenmag.com. Our Facebook page is very engaged. We have a Facebook group called uh, Working Hard to Raise Teens, and we all know what that's like. Um, and that, that's... <laughs> That is a great place to go um, and put out your questions. It's a it's a support group of parents who really help each other through some situations where they can't turn to their friends. Um, and the Facebook group is really kind of like that old fashioned play group. Yeah, it, it so feels like that. Um, I think you've put together something so unique and amazing because it is this great resource for parents to get together, share ideas with each other. It's also this kind of gold standard for uh, resources for parents of teens. Like I cannot think of a, a parenting author or expert that I admire that isn't a contributor in some way, shape or form to your team. Wow, we feel really lucky about that. I mean, we really, it, it's part of 2020, but it's been all along for us. This is 14 years old. But 2020, 2021 is a time where it's access to people is is um, it's extraordinary. And just people, to me, feel very generous with their time and their wisdom. And having access to the caliber of people like you, Dr. John Duffy, has really impacted the way our families parent. And that's been our goal all along. We feel like when you know better, you do better. And um, for, for some of us, it's it's a lifeline. Like we just don't know what to do in a lot of the decisions, in a lot of the situations we find ourselves in. Mm -hmm. And so having different perspectives on what some may resonate with you and some may not. So we continue to offer different ways to look at situations. You might hear an expert say something and think those words could never come out of my mouth. And by the way, I would encourage you as a parent myself, having raised five kids, that sometimes trying those things, even when they feel unnatural, can have like an extraordinary impact. And so I, I have kind of done that occasionally just to like push myself and say, could I actually say those words? And I'm usually surprised. I, I expect my kids to go, oh my God, who did you talk to today that you got that line from? But right. when it's great advice, it's just great advice. So I have occasionally said, this doesn't sound like me, but I'm going to give it a shot. But I would tell you also, if it doesn't sound like you, keep listening, because you're going to get something else that feels much more natural to you and more comfortable to you. This is true. In terms of content, there's always something new and something's going to feel natural. But I love this idea that you present. And I, and I do find that my clients who use your teen as a resource um, and myself, um, when my son was a teenager... Um, I would often look to your teen and I would think like, Ooh, yeah, that, I don't know if that's going to feel organic to me, or I'm not sure I can recommend that to this client. And yet when you do it, even if you note to your child, 
this might not feel, this might feel weird. This might not feel altogether organic. Oftentimes these things tend to work out, right? I mean, you know, like, so these things that are techniques that we would normally just dismiss as not us or not our family or not the way we were brought up, we tend to blow off a little bit. And I, what I like about your team is it gives that a moment of pause. And I especially love the podcast where it is light and it is, um, it makes it feel so much less overwhelming, I think, to bring up kids during this difficult time. Well, and one of the things you said, I, I want to say that the irony of looking for change is that we don't want to feel uncomfortable about it. <laughs> so, like, you know, <laughs> right. you, you hear something and you're like, well, that's so not me. But if you think about what is you and it's not working, then you are going to have to try something that might not feel like you. So there is this very funny, like the, the visceral reaction to sounding not like me is horrible. But I'm actually <laughs> out there searching for the thing that doesn't sound like me. So give it a shot. Right. Yeah, I love that. Um, I, I, I want to take advantage of the breadth of your experience. So um, doing a little due diligence, I, I think I learned that this is a 14-year-old venture, right? So this goes back to, I assume, when your kids were pretty young. And, um, you know, I'm kind of curious how you decided to put this together and how it's evolved since then. I can imagine that the challenges of being a parent in 2007 when, the iPhone is relatively new and we don't know what vaping is and, you know, cer you know, certain political issues haven't come to the fore yet that, you know, things have changed so dramatically. And yet your work still feels probably feels more relevant right now than it ever has. Would you agree with that? I do. And I think that the, the technology is a huge difference. I mean, we didn't cover that topic when we started and we cover it all the time now. But yeah. I, I honestly think that we're never going to be ahead of our kids on a lot of the things that we think are the biggest problems. So it really goes back to the basics. I mean, if you have good, healthy relationships with your kids, and that doesn't mean that you know everything, and that doesn't mean you have the answers to everything, and it doesn't mean you don't worry, by the way. But mm -hmm. um, if, if there's open communication, I mean, I remember saying to my oldest daughter, who I just shouted out here, um, <laughs> I... I <laughs> So she was a senior in high school, and I and I know that there was drinking going on. And I said, I want you to promise me that if you ever find yourself in a situation that you'll be doing something risky, that you call me, and we won't ask questions. I mean, I'm not the first one to say this to my kid, but um, you know what I when I heard her repeat that to a friend, who's you know the conversation was, should we be going to this? What should we be doing? How would we get there and home? I heard her say, my mom will pick us up if we need her, uh -huh. and I I felt like win. That's a win. And now it's not what I anticipated when I didn't have teenagers. I would have said, well, my kids are never going to drink. Um, right, but, of course. But, and I probably was a really perfect mom before I had kids at all. But as it turns <laughs> out, the things we swore would never happen are out of our control. And so now I had to move into how do I keep my kids safe? And my point in telling that story is that being able to have that communication with my kid, it translates to everything else we do. So it might not be that story for you. It might not. It might be about technology and that you say to your kid, I'm worried about you. I want you to know if I can help you in any way because you seem like you're addicted to your technology that I'm here for you. So it's, you know, the, the, the device, whether it's driving or drinking or, or your phone or whatever it is, the conversation's pretty much the same. Totally. Um, I, I, I love that. I agree with that. And yet I'm thinking, 
if I'm a parent listening and I'm not familiar with with your work or with my work, right? I might be thinking fear takes over for parents pretty easily and pretty readily, right? And we think like, ooh, I'm not comfortable with that. I I I'm gonna I'm gonna lecture. I'm gonna lay down the law. I'm gonna be really clear about what's allowable and what's not allowable. Um, and you kind of forego, I think, when you get deep into the lecturing, you forego tending to that emotional bank account that is your leverage in a way with your teen and your connection. Um, and I worry about my client families where fear takes the lead in parenting. And yet it's really hard to parent these days without fear being a big component of it. Oh, I don't know how to get rid of fear. I really don't know how to do that. <laughs> if you know how, you can give me some therapy. But um, it it you can be afraid and still have a different conversation. I mean, I think all the time with our kids, we have like thoughts running through our heads that, that aren't coming out of our mouths. I mean, it, you know, I have mm. this uh, group of women I get together with every Friday, and we went through this period of time where we would sit down and say all the things we wanted to say to our kids, but we're very strongly not saying and um, and it was so much fun because what we did was we said, I, you know, I want to say you're annoying me to death. I can't stand you, but I'm not going to say that I love you. But I, I have that thought running through my head at that moment. And so we would literally store up those wins and just share them with each other once a week. And it was it was so powerful. Like we laughed so hard and we felt like good parents because we want to be there for our kids. But yes, relationships are really hard, even with our kids. Totally. What what a great cathartic moment, right? To be with other parents and talk about, you know, okay, all bets being off, what what would I want to say, right? If I, if I weren't editing or filtering in any way, what would I want to say? I feel like your teen allows for that a lot, right? You know, just like vicariously through, through podcasts and through some of the Facebook live stuff you do and things like that. I feel like, you know, people are given permission to, if not express those you know, thoughts and opinions directly at their kids, at least to think them and allow them for a little while so that once they're finally with their kids, they've kind of cleansed the palate a little bit and they can kind of really focus on what they really do want to say. Oh, I love that. I mean, I really hope that what we accomplish is taking away this idea that we can be perfect parents. It, it's really out there. It's sitting out there and it's so much pressure on parents and it's, it, you know, I mean, talk about college. I just spoke to the woman who wrote the book about the college scandal. Oh, um, yeah. Melissa Korn, she wrote uh, Unacceptable. And, you know, you think about how did you get to a point where someone would do what they did? And it's it's our report card. You know, we don't get report cards about being parents. And when our kids get into these top 10 schools, somehow we feel like that's a definition of success. And you know, I want to take all that away. We all do it, your teen. We want to take all that away and say there's so many ways for our kids to feel success. And none of it may be the way you anticipated when you delivered that baby, but all of it can be beautiful. So it, it's really a challenging um, trope that we have in our society today that that being the best parent you can be is being a perfect parent. And it's not that. It can't be that. Ooh, I so want to pause on that for a moment, Sue, because I think about all the parents I know and work with who um, put themselves through such agony working to be the bumper sticker parent, right? The one, I want the perfect kid that fits this perfect mold that I pictured when he or she was born. And I want their lives to be smooth and easy. 
Um, but I think way too often in pressing that, first of all, we're, we're probably feeding anxiety down a generation to those kids. And anything that's special or unique or odd or weird, cool and unusual about that child kind of gets put to the wayside because they're not playing along. If you would just be normal and do the thing and get the grades and join the team or get on the stage and be in the club, um, then things would be fine, but you're not falling in line and, and, and that's making us look bad as a family somehow. And I like the, I, I know your teen works hard to kind of alter that thinking and open up what success means, but I think we do get stuck in this really narrow definition of what is allowable behavior and allowable like accomplishments, I suppose. Well, I also think that, you know, we do, we form communities in our, wherever we are and we need communities. We need our tribes. We need our communities and our kids sometimes take us out of communities that we love being in because they don't want to do something. Like if your kid plays a sport, you might have a whole social life around that sport. And then they come home one day and they say, I don't want to do it anymore. And so that means that your kid doesn't do the thing you love watching and you don't get to be part of that community anymore. So there are these ripple effects of letting our kids follow their own destination and dreams that impact us in a way that we're like, but, but I, I liked your girlfriend. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Well, and and maybe even I like being with those parents too. I I like the whole culture around that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's really, really hard. Um, and that's not, could, that's not a judgment. I'm not saying that's easy. That is really hard. Like, you know, I had a kid who played football. Every Friday night we walked to the games. It was a blast. And I was sad when it was over because we were part of something. But if he would have walked in and said, I don't want to do it anymore, it would have been a loss for my husband and I. More for my husband, <laughs> but definitely <laughs> a loss for us. It became part of our, our um, cadence to the week. Yeah, um, my wife and I had a similar thing around water polo, of all things, which when my first son, my son first told me he was going to play this game, I thought it was a different game. I, I knew so little about it. And then I became so voracious a fan that, you know, like, um, you know, if he, 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 he never did stop playing in high school, but he talked about it once or twice. And my anxiety rose precipitously because I liked I liked being at the pool. I liked everything about the sport. I liked that, you know, he was good at it. And that meant something to my parental parental report card. And that would have been a major, major loss for me were he not able to do that. And when I find some parents saying to me in the last year or so that I'm sure you're running into is, well, you got all those years. I mean, we had a pandemic. We didn't even get, you know, even if our child was deeply engaged in that, we didn't get to have that time. Yeah, that loss is tremendous right now. It's so tremendous and there's nothing to do about it. So I guess the thing I would say to all of us is that we have to kind of check what's best for our kids and what's best for us. And it doesn't mean that we deny the fact that we've had tremendous loss. But even, I mean, this this is something that my kids have taught me. I mean, there's nothing like raising teenagers to know yourself. They sense when it's me wanting something for me so deeply, and they're so happy to let me know. (laughs) (laughs) And and those moments, I really have to think about what is my motive here? Like, you know, I want you to keep doing this. Why do I want you to keep doing this? Is it because I like the parents that go there also? Well, you know, my kids should not have to keep doing that for my social life. And yet, I still get to feel bad. 
Yes. Yeah. And I love all the permission there, right? Because feelings are feelings. We can't just decide not to feel a certain way. So we allow ourselves to feel the grief or feel the loss or feel the joy of being part of the thing. And all of it is okay. And I, and, and there's something about the way you present all this that feels so judgment-free and liberating um, that it makes me think, yeah, that's right. There is no blueprint for this. There is no right way to parent. It's part of the reason you create new content all the time, as opposed to just writing the one and only your teen final book on parenting. This is how it's going to be from here on out, because this is always shifting and evolving and changing, right? I, I think it, it, we'd have the, we'd have the Bible if there was one, right? Like if, yeah. if there was one way to do this, we'd have it. And I think the most challenging part of parenting is that we have to believe what we're doing is is good for our family and finding somebody else doing it differently puts questions and doubt into our mind. So this, this judgment comes from a, a place of just vulnerability. And I think trying to, to see people as being the best parents they can be, that we're all looking at our kids and loving them to death and wanting them to be the best they can be and, and wanting us to be the best parents we can be, that if we look at everybody with that through that lens, then there might be a little less of that judgment going on. But it, yeah. I think I think a lot of times at the core of it is it, if we all do it the same way, then I can feel really good that I've made the right decision. But if you have different rules in your house, I, I either have to be open all the time to reconsider our decisions, or I have to say, this is how our family does it. You know, like that, yes. that um, when you tell your kids, well, you know, I guess you have the wrong last name, or maybe you want to go live <laughs> over there or whatever it is, you know? <laughs> right. Um, that That's another thing I love is it feels to me in my conversations with you um, that integrating like a degree of humor into the whole thing helps a great deal, right? It kind of like boosts that emotional bank account and the connection you have with your child. And, um, and sometimes we take um, parenting so seriously. I'll work with teenagers who will come into my office here or talk to me on a Zoom call and say, boy, somewhere around like middle school, my parents started treating me very, very differently. Like I felt like they've been watching for me to do something wrong as opposed to like having fun and connecting and finding, you know, giving me kudos when I'm doing something right. And um, I think that might be partly parental fear, but part of it is I think these kids kind of miss their parents at times. That's so interesting. It's so hard not to feel like the, the clock is ticking and the time for you to yeah. get your messages across to your kids is, is dwindling. And so I followed one of my kids around before they were graduating. And I was, I, I really was like in that kid's face nonstop with, with mm. imparting my wisdom, my deep wisdom that they had to have before they left the house. And they turned around and said to me, you raised good kids. It's enough. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> oh, uh, okay. And How now, nice I is don't, that to well, I don't know if I raise good kids or not. I mean, they don't know what I know about that. You know, I mean, there could be a whole, there is, by the way, there not could be, there are a whole host of things that I know nothing about with them that would horrify me. And little by little, as they get older, some of them come out and I'm like, wow, party in my house when we were in our bedroom, go figure. Like just doing stuff. <laughs> right, right. I mean, honestly, in our bedroom and in the basement, there were kids there and we did wow. not. Yeah. So, I mean, 
we did our best. We had all the conversations. We thought we had kids who followed all the rules. And guess what? They were just like teenagers. And they tried to get away with things. I asked one of my kids who's afraid of everything. I'm like, how did you do that? Weren't you so nervous we would come down? She's like, yeah, I didn't have fun for a second. <laughs> <laughs> that's so that's so funny, right? So I, I had to go through the right, even though I didn't enjoy it at all. And, you know, um, you do sense. I, I think that's one of the things we parents are afraid of for our kids is we want to we want to protect them from so much of the world. And so there's this line we want to walk from being kind of like almost, you, you know, all the words, the helicoptery kind of like, you know, hovering parent versus the laissez-faire, you know, like uh, let the natural consequences fall where they may, may parent um, versus like the dad I was talking to yesterday, who I really thought about talking to you about, who said, why can't I just parent the way I was parented? You know, like my, the, the iron fist and the, and the fear worked for me. I'm fine. Why can't we just have that? Why, why do we have to think this through so much? Why is parenting a verb now? <laughs> mm. I get his point. And, and also there's that feeling like I turned out okay. So why do I have to change? But it is a different world today. Yeah. And um, honestly, I don't think all those relationships went so well in the past. I don't think that top-down narrative really worked as well. I remember being a kid and thinking, when I have my own kids, I'm never going to say, because you live in my house. Like, it felt so diminishing. And I, I felt like, when do I get some power in, over and, and agency over my own life? So I knew that. Now, I think I turned out fine. You know, some would argue, but I think I'm pretty fine. But... It doesn't mean I have to do that the same way. I can look at this and say, my kids are going to have, it's, they're going to still have their stories. <laughs> One of my kids just told me a story recently. I still stand by my actions, by the way. And he was, he clearly left a, a very dramatic mark on my kids. I, we, we, I was driving home. They were young. They were fighting in the car. I said, this is dangerous for me to keep driving. I'm sure I didn't say it with this tone of voice. And I said, I want all of you to stop this. And, um, and one of them wouldn't stop. So I pulled over. Now, I was down the street, but I think in their minds, I was miles away. I was literally right. down the street. And I said, get out of the car and walk home. And so, you know, you don't know what scars your kids. Apparently, that scarred my kids. And I still would do it because there was no, there, there was no stopping them. It was not safe for me to keep driving. So anyway, I just think it's ironic because we're all trying so hard to do this right. And our kids are going to go to their therapist and say something that you're going to go, what? <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Um, yeah, I think parents are, are very surprised at what scars their kids, what, what, what those, those indelible, uh, the indelible things they remember that you think like, wow, I didn't think that was so awful at all. Um, and that, that makes parenting all the more difficult. But also, I, I think we make our calls and we make them by and large as parents in the best interests of our kids. And sometimes we're hitting the nail on the head and sometimes we miss it a little bit. And I think you're saying like, yeah, there's a lot of good ways to parent, you know, like then, and not all of them are going to be perfect. And some of them might leave a scar, but a scar might not be the end of the world. Yeah. I, I don't know how to do it perfectly. All I can say is that one of the things I've learned from doing your teen is that if I can, if I can be in a place where I can feel compassion for them, it just ends differently. Now, I can't always. I mean, I've got my own my own me getting in the way of that all the time. 
But, you know, I remember reading um, this conversation about when your kid comes home from school and, and throws their backpack and maybe mumbles some obscenity at you or something. And, and so what do you do? You say, don't talk to me like that and don't throw your backpack and pick it up. And it was like, <laughs> you know, it was this idea of just thinking about how their day was in school to have them walk in the door and feel like they had to do that. Like, and, and that changes the whole conversation if you say you must have had a hard day oh my you know. gosh does it ever you're right right as opposed to like you know what's the matter with you go pick up your backpack and you're grounded for a month right and which is what we want to say i want to say it i want to say you can't talk to me like that i don't talk to you like that <laughs> right right um no small thing right i mean so kind of the theme i and I, i'm trying to listen for them feels like, you know, the more that you can focus on connection rather than maybe consequences and discipline and some of the stuff maybe our parents focused on, um, maybe the better off you are, not as a rule, but on the whole. Is that a fair kind of broad assessment of where we are? Um, you know, I, I hate to make those kind of statements because I'm certain it doesn't work in every house like that. You know, it's <laughs> It's so hard to say that. I can say that in my house, um, I pivoted a lot when I learned more, and I felt better about my relationships. Does that mean I did a better job? I don't know. I mean, we get so many comments on posts and and comments that about be a parent, yeah, which you know we always laugh at because what do you think we're trying to do? <laughs> we are all right. working our our darndest to be a parent. Um, but what they're saying is, you know, don't let your kid walk all over you. Don't like, you know, I would I occasionally let a kid come up with their own consequence. Um, I ultimately got to be the one to decide. But right. I, I thought that negotiation was a healthy one. Not every time, but sometimes. And um, I, I just I didn't find strong willed kids in my house. I mean, we are five strong willed kids and two strong willed parents. And and so having like we ended up fighting about the consequences. Like literally when my oldest was, was a young toddler and the pediatrician said, put her in a timeout chair, I'd put her in the timeout chair and she'd get up. And so what, what were we fighting about? Following the rule that I just made about you sitting in the timeout chair. And we would, we never could get to the essence of what was going on. Like you're tired, you're hungry, you know? Right. Well, I feel like some early self-help books would have suggested that that's what you want to do. And yet you're right. You almost feel like you're chasing your tail because you're creating a new rule that can get violated. And then, you know, like how many timeouts can you get before your child is just sitting on a stair, uh, you know, facing the wall? Or, or you, ratchet it, you, you ratchet it up to like, you'll never go out again, right? Like you don't pick up right. your backpack and you are never going out again. <laughs> oh, I've worked with that situation, Sue, so many times. Um, I remember years and years ago, um, there was a very strong-willed girl in my office, and um, by the time they got to me, the parents had taken away the phone, the car keys, the the door off the hinges. I'm sure there were more things than that. The computer, and um, and and so sitting on her stripped bed, um, this girl sitting here with her, there with her arms crossed, and she says to her parents, "What else you got?" Like we you know, like <laughs> I can I can live without without all of that, and and the parents kind of looked at each other like. Oh, we're screwed here. We're, there is no next thing to take away. We need another option here. It's so hard not to go down that path, though. I mean, I I just um, I wrote an editor's letter years ago that I turned into an article recently about 
you know, I, I, I wrestled to the ground with my daughter for the keys she was holding. And, and when I say that someone usually laughs, but we really wrestled to the ground. Like she was threatening to go out when I had said she couldn't. And, um, I couldn't even believe it. It was my first kid to be so overtly defiant. And I just felt like I'm saying, no, don't do that. And she felt like you're not the boss of me. (laughs) So we had a physical fight and, um, I called, you know, it was before I knew you, John and years ago. Um, and I called somebody and said, you need to see my crazy kid. And she said, okay, tell me what's going on. So I told her the story. And first of all, it became super clear that I needed to see her and not my kid. And she made this one comment that like having having the presence to argue with, with you, for your daughter to argue with you is a healthy thing. Think about her relationship with other people, with with partners, with friends, that she has the ability to say, no, I won't do what you told me. And I was like, oh, man. That was not, that was so not what I wanted to hear. I wanted to hear how terrible she was, how right I was. And like, you know, she needs to never drive again. And, you know, it was was such a pivotal moment in my relationship with that kid because I, I just backed down and I, and I said, what's going on here? Which I never would have done. I, I think I would have taken away, you know, I would have gotten from the door off her bedroom and then not asked, you know, not said what's next, just kept going. Well, it's such an, it almost feels like a natural parenting instinct to kind of uh, focus on the behavior as opposed to what underlies the behavior um, because we're reacting in real time and uh, there's a little bit of fear and there's a little bit of our report card involved and all these little elements that you and I have been talking about here. And, um, and, and I think it's hard to strip all that away and just consider like, what is my child in her, you know, madness of behavior here, really trying to communicate to me. I think to have the presence of mind to really be calm enough to listen to that, to attend to that, and to ask that right question, I think that's really, really hard. A lot to ask oneself. Well, I mean, I can tell you, I don't, all those other things sound so nice. I wasn't thinking any of those. It was all (laughs) ego. It was all like, I am the parent here, and I told you to not go out, and you are not listening. And there was no other, there was just rage around that and pure ego. But I mean, it's kind of you to say all those other things. That would have been much healthier than what I was feeling. But I was able to move out of that rage and see that there were better ways to handle that. And not always, but hopefully more times than not. And that's kind of one of the keys is, right, Um, as parents were... We're not expected to be perfect any more than we expect our kids to be perfect. And we get do-overs and we get, you know, there's another, there's going to be another situation and another time and another uh, opportunity to connect. And, you know, our, our kids are going to present us with challenges all the way through, you know. And so um, I, I got to assume part of the point is don't expect yourself to be perfect. Like I think about there's been so much written over the course of the pandemic in particular um, I think I wrote something um, that, that your team was kind enough to publish that suggested that, um, you know, we parents are being so hard on ourselves for our kids not being perfect on their Zoom calls or their e-learning or, you know, they're not engaged or involved enough or they're going out without the masks. And, you know, and, and we, we judge ourselves super, super, super harshly. And um, one thing I love about your vibe is I think you give people permission to 
let go of that judgment a little bit. Like, you know, hey, we all mess up. We all make mistakes. We're going to make a lot more. By and large, we stay in a lane that is good enough, safe enough. We're doing just fine as parents. Is that, am am I paraphrasing fairly? Yeah, I think that's good. I think there'll be people listening who are horrified by the way I behave as a parent, you know, because I, and and by the way, you know, I, I think it's a very forgiving relationship. So I think one of the best things that we can do, and again, I'm getting better at it, is to apologize. You know, I didn't handle that well. And it also models for our kids that you can do that in your relationships as well. Oof. That's that's so important. I love that so much. Um, and I think that's for parents, that's so difficult. Um, and maybe that that's a function of like the way we were parented. But, you know, like that idea of like, I'm going to apologize to you for, you know, you misbehaved. You may you, you started this whole thing. But I think you I think it's crucial, right, to kind of model that you can be wrong. And and that's not the end of the world. You can both move on from this. I'm going to go even further than that. Please. When my, so I had all of my kids home during the pandemic and having adult children home was really challenging. And I found myself miserable at first and then apologizing a lot. And I didn't think I was wrong, but I needed the house. I needed the, the, the temperature in the house to change. Yeah. And so, I mean, there were occasionally times where I was, I was laughing at myself for apologizing because it was so <laughs> ridiculous how it, it was nothing I had done. But it took the wind out of the sail. Like it was like this could go on, go on for much longer. This this kind of house of tension, mm-hmm. and I I just didn't want it. I, I none of us could survive it. It was it was time, and so I, I I had a number of different times where I just said if I and I I didn't mock it. I didn't say I'm sorry and have nothing with it. I said I'm sorry. It, it appears I did something to really upset you, and I didn't I didn't. It wasn't disingenuous, which is what about what I'm going to say is going to make it sound like it was. <laughs> I was, I I did feel badly if I did something to make them feel upset, but I also felt like, oh my god, <laughs> wow, you really pushed every button of mine. Um, but but it it was it just opened the door for a conversation. So yeah, apologize when you're wrong, but sometimes, and I would even say if you're listening right now and you're thinking, maybe I'll try something that's uncomfortable t- for me. Try apologizing when you don't think you're wrong. <laughs> wow, Sue, I love that so much. Um, right, because sometimes the temperature of the house and modulating that, that's just as important as who's right, who's wrong, and just keeping peace so everybody's mental wellness can stay remotely intact, right? Especially when we're together far more than families are supposed to be together, right, during a pandemic or something. You know, that probably is really, really good advice. Like, you know what? I'm sorry. That's on me, even if that's not entirely on me. Also, like when we're in crisis mode, when there's an external crisis, we all band together and we know we have to be better. And so someone might say something stupid and and everyone rolls their eyes instead of hitting on them because, you know, there's a crisis at hand and we have to deal with it. This crisis, this pandemic crisis has been going on too long to sustain that feeling of imminent crisis. But it's kind of a healthy approach when you do it, you know, hopefully you're not doing it in, in like that acute moment that, I mean, hopefully, hopefully you're not experiencing that acute moment, but even just kind of living that way where it's like, eh, you know, he's had a bad day. 
I, I love the way he's behaving, but you know, he'll settle down. He needs some food. She needs some sleep, whatever. Um, it feels to me like a lot of your advice suggests like parenting is a long game. It's not, this moment isn't going to define you as a parent or define your child as a child. So you're allowed a little, a little levity, a little play, and that is not going to be the end of the world. As long as, um, by and large, you, you're maintaining a strong enough connection and, and things are going reasonably well, um, you can afford plenty of missteps. I'm going to listen to this interview and write down your sound bites because they're so much tighter than mine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely going to say that I about disagree. my... <laughs> <laughs> but you've got the greatest color commentary, Sue, I have heard in so long because these are real world examples. These are things that are happening in your home. Um, so is there... Um, and I'm going to put you on the spot here, you know, uh, given what you do, given um, all you know about parenting, having parented five kids yourself, self, having worked in this field for so long and knowing every single person who knows really anything about parenting and has done any studying about parenting, is there is there a takeaway that that we might not have touched on or is there a theme that you hear from the gurus out there that you feel like, ooh, we haven't touched on this, we probably ought to mention it. Oh, there's just so many. I wish there was just one. But first I wanna yeah. clarify that I do have a husband in the story and I'm really not doing it alone. <laughs> and he's a great partner in parenting, although we do call him the Disney dad because he's all about having fun and not saying no to the kids, but he's a great partner. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I, I, I don't know that I can distill it down to one thing. Like I have, I have the things I've heard that I like, be curious. I think that's a fantastic one. When you approach your kids being curious, you're going to have a very different conversation. I think there's great wisdom in asking your kid what they're looking for from you. So, you know, we go to fix the problem often and sometimes they really just want to vent to us and they don't want us to try and fix the problem or even engage in a conversation. So sometimes we're trying to guess that. In fact, I think all the time we're trying to guess that. And this is one of those things that I said the first time thinking those words can never come out of my mouth. And I said to one of my kids, do you want me to help you solve the problem or do you want me just to listen? And they said, I want you just to listen. And I was like, oh, well, that worked. Uh, <laughs> That's amazing. <yes. laughs> and, and so, and in truth, you can do it in your relationships also. And you're, if you're in a marriage, you know, a lot of times we want to just tell somebody. We just want yeah. to complain about it. And and if someone tries to fix it, sometimes it makes you feel like it really wasn't such a big problem. I just wanted to tell you, you know, like, I don't want this to blow up into a week long. How do we fix this problem? I'm just getting it off my chest. So instead of guessing some of those things, we can literally ask our kids. And I found with mine that they were, they'd answer. They knew and they would answer. I got it. I get it. So Sue, you know, um, we probably should wrap up now, but I'm going to put you on the spot one more time and say, um, I love talking to you. I think your 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 wisdom and your just your presence feels so it's such a breath of fresh air for parents that I'm going to kind of insist that we continue this discussion at some point on future podcasts. So will you join me at some point in the not too distant future here? 
Love to, anytime. Okay, awesome. Um, tell us uh, everything we need to know about your teen media so that parents can find you, can find you know, your, your group of experts and, um, and can gain from your wisdom. So if you start at yourteenmag.com, that's our website. You can find everything there. You can find our LinkedIn and our um, YouTube and we, you can find our Facebook page and every, everywhere we are is there. And I will tell you that every morning at 1030, we do a Facebook live. John's been on it and um, it is all stored in Facebook. And if you want to come on live, you can ask questions of the experts and um we, we have a nice following of people who really find it valuable, so we hope you'll join us. And it really is informative and, and great fun. So, um, Sue, thank you for everything you do. Thank you for joining me here today. Um, that is Sue Borison from Your Team Media. Thanks again, Sue. Thank you, Dr. John Duffy. We're so lucky to have you in our sphere. Ah, that, goes, that comes right back to you. Um, and this is better. We will talk to you guys next time. Have a great week.